Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of our scripture this morning. It comes out of the Gospel of John. Diana is coming to read our scripture for us this morning. John chapter 1, verses 35 through 46 is found there in your pew Bibles in front of you on page 400 or 750, or you can follow along in your own Bibles as well. Again, John chapter 1, verses 35 through 46. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what, G what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when it translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word, and make it be for us the word of life, that we indeed might be people of life. And now, God, hide me behind your cross, that your message of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So there have been two times in my life that I have been without a church home. I was raised in, the exact, in, the, in, in one church while I was growing up. In fact, I was probably no more than a couple of weeks old when I first attended my home United Methodist Church. And then I really uh, had rarely gone to any other church, maybe one or two other times in my life outside of my grandmother's church in a neighboring town. Uh, I really had never really been to another church until, until I got to college. And so when I was in college, I was without a church home, and then um, my wife and I got married, and, and, and then we went on to seminary, and, and I was also without a church home when I was in seminary as well. When I was in seminary, I, we tried a, a number of different churches. We, we believed, we thought that we were just going to, I mean, we knew that we were going to spend uh, the rest of our uh, adult uh, uh, times as adults probably in, in some sort of ministry, and so... 
Um, I wasn't going to get, uh, because we're United Methodist, as a pastor, I wasn't going to be able to select where, uh, where I attended church from there on out. And so we were going we to give a lot of churches a, a different try. Uh, we, tried out a, we tried out a little Baptist church in town. The pastor came and saw us and stayed for about three hours. Uh, that, uh, that afternoon, we decided we're probably not going back there. Uh, we, we, went to, uh, uh, we went to the Free Methodist Church there in, uh, in the little town that we lived in, and, and it was a good little church. And, and then we tried a couple other churches. We tried, well, we, we started getting a, well, it, it was just a couple of weeks into seminary, we started developing a real strong friendship with another couple. And they had, they had been in seminary two, two more years than we had, and, and they knew all the churches around. He, J.D. Walt, he was very, very deeply connected. And so we went with J.D. and his wife, Tiffany. We went to, uh, we went to a, a mega Methodist church. It was a large Methodist church. They had almost 3,000 in worship, and we tried that for a couple of Sundays and decided we, could, we couldn't do that. And, and then we heard that there was, uh, J.D. knew that there was another small, uh, kind of an independent church that was, that was starting, and so uh, J.D. knew the pastor, the new pastor, and, and so we went with J.D. and Tiffany a few weeks, and then, uh, and then we had some other friends that were going to the, to the local Methodist church there in that town, and, and they invited us to go to church with them, and we settled in because we had friends. It wasn't because the church was great. Don't believe me. The church, that church was was not was not great. Uh, the the um, sanctuary seated. Uh, the sanctuary didn't have any sides to it. It was a it was a long and narrow sanctuary. It seated about fourteen hundred. And and the Sundays that we went, there were about one hundred and twenty people in the church in the sanctuary that seated. 1400. It also had a, a back balcony as well. The, the sermon was, I'll be honest, the sermon was not real good. Um, the, the, uh, we, had, uh, we had a small child at that time, and we had to ask two or three people to ask them where the nursery was. And by the way, the nursery was in a completely other building. The second Sunday that we went, our daughter got stung by a wasp because it was, uh, the building was so, was so dilapidated. There were wasps all over and I mean, it was not because of the quality of church is why we started uh, attending First United Methodist Church of Wilmore, Kentucky. No, we started attending that church, and we stuck with it for almost uh, for the remainder of our seminary of our time in seminary because we had friends there. That's why we stuck with it. Again, it wasn't it wasn't it had nothing to do with a style of worship. It had nothing to do with the quality of preaching. It had nothing to do with the quality of their ministries. But we developed a strong friendship, and, and we started a Sunday school class for seminary students. And there were about 15 seminary students and, uh, and spouses were there in that class. And it was a great small community there in that, in that church. And, and again, it wasn't because of anything else other than we had friends that had invited us to go to that church, and we found friends there. So how many of you, how many of you have ever attended a church because a friend invited you? I want you to raise your hand. I want to, I kind of want to see what, how many of you have attended a church because a friend invited you, okay? All right. How many of you are attending first church because a friend invited you? Okay. I want you to look around. That would look like that was probably, oh, 
30% of us, 40, 30 to 40% of us are here today because a friend invited us to attend First Church. And most of us, most of us throughout our, uh, throughout our times of looking for church homes, most of us, I would say the vast majority, looked like it was probably 70% of us, at some point had attended a church because a friend had invited us. Well, today we are, we are uh, continuing our sermon series, really completing our sermon series, dealing with uh, what it's like to be a good neighbor. And, and really, I think that in my, in my just over two, two years here at First Church, I think I've probably said more honest things uh, than I've said in the previous two years, maybe even combined. And I think, and I don't know if you feel this way or not, but I feel like I've said some things that are real critical for us as a church moving forward. Uh, again, one of, one of the things that I, I mean, it, the First Church is not going to grow based upon the strength of the preaching. First Church is not going to grow based upon the quality of music. First Church is not going to grow solely based upon the ministries that we have here. First Church is going to grow because of the friendships that we have with people who are not attending church. That's how First Church is going to grow. In fact, what I have found is that every church that I've pastored, every single church that I've pastored, we have shown numerical growth, every church, and every church that I've pastored, the reason that we found and showed numerical growth was because, not because of the quality of pastor, not because of the quality of music, the quality of the programs, the quality of ministries. It was all about the friendships that people in the congregation had. That's, what, that's where it came from. And what I, what I have found, what I have found in, in, in Scripture is that, is that the God of the Bible is a missionary God who graciously pursues people. The God of the Bible is a missionary God who graciously pursues people, meaning, meaning it is, it, it, uh, God pursues people through our lives. Now, every once in a while, every once in a while, I'll come across people, even here at First Church, and I'll say, especially here at First Church, I've talked to some of you who have said, I have no idea why I'm at First Church. I just felt... I mean, I was driving by one day, and God told me, you need to be in that church. I've heard that. I've heard that. Certainly, that is God graciously pursuing people to come into the life of the church. But more often than not, God per graciously pursues others through our lives. That's how God does it. That's how God does it. And we find that here in our passage of Scripture today. In our passage of Scripture today, it... it the, the first chapter of the Gospel of John is always overshadowed for me by the first few verses in the Gospel of John. I mean, the Gospel of John is, has, has, an outs, has an astounding beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Through, uh, through Him, all things were made. Nothing was made that... Nothing was made without him. But, and, and, it, and it goes on, this, just this beautiful, beautiful poetry. And so as I'm reading through the Gospel of John, I am so transfixed on those first few verses of the Gospel of John. I really have tended to ignore the second half of the chapter of chapter 1 of John's Gospel. And then you get into chapter 3, and you got some great things. I mean, you got John 3.16. How can you go wrong there? But the, but the second half of, 
of the Gospel of John, or the first chapter of John, I've tended to ignore until this past week. And I started looking at this scripture with, with fresh eyes. I, I noticed I noticed here that the calling of the disciples, it's a different narrative that we, in, in, in John's Gospel than we have in the synoptic Gospels, or the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's a description of it is, is, a little, is a little bit different. What we find in John's gospel is that each one of the disciples are invited by someone else to go and find Jesus or invited by someone else to go and follow Jesus. First, it was John the Baptist. And they, John the Baptist's disciples were saying, who is this guy over here? We've heard about this Jesus guy, this, this rabbi, this teacher. Who is he? And John said, go and find out for yourself. Time and again, we have each disciple that are saying, go, telling their friends, come and see who this Jesus is. It wasn't Jesus going out and handpicking hand his disciples. Instead, it was his disciples going out and reaching their friends with the good news of Jesus Christ. And if it is good enough for the first disciples, dear friends, it better be good enough for us. So this is the last sermon in this series, and so I'm going to be really brutally honest yet again. Hear me yet again when I, when, when I say this. First Church will continue on our path of decline that we have been on since uh, around 2001, 2002. Was, uh, 2000, 2001 was the last time First Church showed any growth whatsoever. For the last 20 years, this church has shown a decline in worship every single year. And that trend will not turn around. It will not turn around until we begin to invite our friends. It just simply won't. No program. No advertisement. No quality preaching. No great band no great program is going to turn this church around. It will not. By the way, now, now hear me when I say that. Hear me when I say this. It's not to say that those things don't matter. I am so excited that we have an amazing music ministry, amazing ministry from, from our band to Sharon uh, on the organ to the congregational singing to the choir. We have an amazing music, music ministry. We have, I think, at least adequate sermons most of the time. Uh, it, hopefully, they're not cringeworthy. And so we've at least got that going for us. We have some wonderful programs as well, some wonderful programs as well. Those things have to be in place, but those things will not make this church grow. Absolutely and wholeheartedly will not. So... If it was good enough for the first disciples, if it was good enough for Jesus himself, I think it is probably good enough for us as well. It was one follower of Jesus telling someone who was not yet a follower of Jesus, come and see. Come and see who this man is. Come and see what this Christ has done in my life. Come and see. Eighty-two percent 
of unchurched people in America. And unchurched is, I mean, that's a technical, literally, it is a technical term. And so it's not a derogatory term as well. You may not be familiar with that term, unchurched. Someone who is unchurched, meaning someone who has never been to church, at least in a consistent way. Uh, they may have been to church at a funeral or at a wedding, but they have never had any kind of relationship with the church. These are people who are who who church is attending worship regularly is a foreign is a foreign concept to them. Eighty two percent of those people who are considered unchurched in America say that they are likely to attend a church if a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, or a family member invited them. 82%. Is that surprising to anyone else? I mean, I've, I've gone back and I looked at the specific study where the, the, they polled 50,000 Americans and asked them how likely they would be if if, so how likely would you be to attend a church if a preacher came and visited you? And that was about 25% of Americans, uh, unchurched Americans, say that they would be willing to come if a preacher came and visited them. About 4% of Americans said that they would, uh, they would be likely, likely to attend a church if they saw an advertisement that a church was having some special event or had invited them. But 80, 82% of unchurched Americans say that they would be likely to attend a church if a friend, a relative, a co-worker, or um, a, a neighbor invited them to attend church. And the statistics are that 43% of Americans are unchurched, meaning that across America that are, there are more than 110 million people who are ready to, uh, uh, 110 million people who are, uh, who are unchurched, 82% of those would be willing to attend church if they were asked. That means here in the greater metropolitan area of Oklahoma City, there are 600,471 people that are unchurched. So 82% of those, somebody quick do the math for me, about, about 480,000 people there are about 480,000 people who say that they would be willing to attend church if someone they knew and trusted invited them. If you want to write these figures down, you can. I've been in churches that are extremely rural. I mean extremely rural. I pastored a church in a town of 250. There were four churches in that town of 250. <laughs> it seemed like every person in town went to church. But not everybody in town went to church. I started befriending people in town. I went to the local Rotary Club and I started befriending these, these people that didn't go to church and I went out and visited them and I would take somebody from the church with me that knew them and we would, we would, we would we'd start having conversations with them. And eventually, sometimes it took 8, 10, 20 invitations to church, but eventually they would start attending church. Again, in that town of 250, there were four churches. Each of them had about 30 or 40 in worship. So that meant there were only about you know 60 or 70 people in that town that didn't attend church. We have about 480,000 people 
within driving distance of this church that don't attend church and would be willing if they knew someone that they trusted that went to a church they'd be willing to go the problem the problem is that almost 70 percent of christians in america have never invited a person once their entire lives 70 percent of american christians have said that they have never now again in this study it was a it was a it was a pretty broad definition of a Christian. Someone who just simply says, yes, I'm a Christian. They ask them, have you ever invited someone to church? Now, again, these are folks who are cultural Christians. These are, Christ these are Christians who, have never, who, who really don't attend worship or they're not engaged in a church, but they call themselves Christians. Seventy percent of American Christians have never, not once in their entire lives, ever asked someone to attend church. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, you know, we're good Methodists. I mean, Methodists are, are wonderful, wonderful people, and no doubt Methodists are wonderful people, but we are the absolute worst in inviting people to attend worship. There is no other denomination or group of Christians that are worse than United Methodists about inviting Christ, uh, other people to church. 43% of Methodists say that they have not invited anyone to attend worship in the last six months. That compares, you, wonder, you, you want to know why mainline denominations, including United Methodists, are getting, uh, there are so many, so many thousands and thousands of more people who are attending non-denominational churches. Right here is the reason. Only 20% of people who attend non-denominational churches say they haven't invited someone in the, in the previous six months. 43% of United Methodists say, I haven't invited anybody. I don't, know, I don't know anybody who doesn't go to church. These are scary figures. If we don't change, and I'm saying this as a denomination, if this denomination does not change the way that we look at evangelism, we are a dying group of Christians, no doubt in my mind. And dare I say that if we at First United Methodist Church, if we do not change the way that we look at evangelism and do evangelism, we're in big trouble. We're in big, big trouble. So, so the question is, why... Why do, why do we not invite people to attend worship? Why, do we, why don't we invite people to, to come to church? Well, studies have shown that there are a number of reasons why, why uh, we don't feel comfortable inviting people to come uh, to our church. One of those is that we have a lack of, of ownership of the ministry in the life of the church. And so we kind of know what our church is doing we may know that there's a mission, um, uh, an, an, a mission event coming up. We may know that we have some sort of Friday something. We're not exactly sure what it is. Or we know that there may be a Sunday school class or there may be a Bible study going on. Or uh, We know those kinds of things, but we really don't have, we don't feel any investment into that mission, into the life of the church. And so because we don't feel any investment in the life of the church, we're just not going to. We're just not, we, just, we don't really feel comfortable inviting a friend to something that we're not exactly sure that we're invested in anyway. Others of us, we're just, 
Josh, we don't, we don't feel comfortable inviting someone and listening to the sermon because the sermons aren't able, we can't understand the sermons, and so uh, we don't want to invite our friends to listen to this long diatribe theological lecture or something. We don't, we don't want to invite friends to come listen to that, and so we just don't feel comfortable inviting, inviting friends. Others will say that, that, well, the church just doesn't seem like it's, well, the church doesn't seem like it's actively engaged in our community. And so if the church isn't actively engaged in the community, they're just not comfortable bringing their friends to an organization like that. Or, or others say that, um, well, Sunday morning is just simply embarrassing. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I don't feel comfortable at all bringing my, I mean, the, the, the worship is cringeworthy. By the way, I've been, I've led pastors like I've, I've led churches like that. The worship was cringeworthy, and I didn't feel comfortable bringing my friends at all. There were some things we had to get figured out before, before I, as, even as the pastor, were ready, were ready to invite, invite friends to worship. And then some, some people say that, that there's, well, I just don't have any satisfaction in serving others. And so that's, you know, I don't, I, I mean, I just come and, and, and I'm fed, but I don't really serve others, and so it's just not my thing. And then, and then finally, there are some people that say, eh, everybody, eh, they're spiritually fine. It doesn't matter whether you go to church or whether you don't go to church. Eh, all dogs go to heaven kind of mentality. Yeah, it's every, everybody's going to be fine. That's why people don't, that's why, these are, the, these are the primary reasons that people don't invite friends. And so, indeed, maybe, maybe, one of, maybe one of these things that are listed here on our screen, maybe those, are the reason, maybe those are the reasons that you're not inviting friends. I don't know. I, I, I saw a number of you kind of shaking your head when I was going through this list. I suspect that there are few, if any, things on this list that you would agree with, meaning that you, too, are fearful of all of these things. It may very well be that we just need a little bit of a kick in the pants this morning. So a lot of times people ask me how and why, how, how, can, I, how, can, I, how can I invite someone, how can I invite someone to church? Well, the best, the best, the best way that I have, the best way that I have found is you just tell someone, I want you to attend my church. Now, that's, that, that's different. That's different. And, well, you know, have you ever thought about church before? I kind of go to a nice one. I like the people there. No, there's something, I think there's something very personal when you tell someone, I want you to attend my church. Meaning, meaning that I, I want you, I need you to attend worship with me. Because we're friends, we know one another, we're family members, we're co-workers. I need you. I, I, gosh, it would be so great to have another friend in my church. I, I've got lots of friends at church, but I'd love to be surrounded by even more friends. There are a number of times that we can do that. Uh, and, I, and, and, I've, and I've seen it explained the three knots. When you hear someone say one of these, one of these knots, one of these knots, when you ask them, how are things going? not going well at all. When you, heard, when you hear someone say, it's not going well right now, 
that's a time that they need to be in church. Something has gone wrong. Something has gone awry with their lives and in their own, probably even in their own spiritual lives. They need to be in church. They are more open to going to church when there is a dramatic change in their lives. When there is a marriage that is falling apart, when there is a a change of jobs, whenever uh, finances are a big struggle, whenever there is a whenever there is a a a, a difficulty in life, people are more open to coming to church when there's a difficulty in their life than any other time of their life. So when somebody says it's not going well, it's a great time. It's a great time to tell to, for you to tell them exactly where you're beginning to find hope and where your life has changed, and it's right here at First Church. The second one is I was when you hear someone say, "Boy, I wasn't ready for that. I, I was I was I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared for that death at all. I I wasn't ready for my husband to come home and say that they that he wanted a divorce. I wasn't ready for that at all. I wasn't prepared for that." I was, that was not expected in my life. When you hear someone say that kind of not, it's a perfect time for you to invite them to come to worship with you. And again, it's not because, hear me now, guys. I mean, I've said this before. It is way easier for me if First Church stays the exact same size. I know how to do this kind of church. I know how to lead this kind of church. It's way easier for the pastor when there are fewer people in church. I can promise you. I have been there. I've pastored churches of 30. I've pastored a church of 80. I've pastored this church of about 130 in worship on Sunday morning. I've pastored a church of 280. Believe me, it is way easier in churches this size than any other size. It's way easier in my life if First Church doesn't grow. But you see, dear friends, I believe that there is a dying world and there are people slipping into eternity moment by moment by moment without knowing the love of God through Jesus Christ. And there are lost people dying. And they need to come into contact with a loving Savior and they need to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. The final knot. If you hear someone say, I'm not from here. It's a new coworker, a new neighbor, someone you meet at the store, and you ask them, "Hey, where are you from?" Well, I'm not from here, meaning meaning that they're not not originally from here, and they're new here. When people are new to a community, when people are new to a community, they are m- literally even more so than after the death of a loved one. They are more open to attending worship typically for the very first time when they are new to a community because they are looking for friends. They're looking for community is what they're looking for. And when you, when you are new to a town, you have such a lack of community. Believe me, we're, I mean, we, we've been here for two years and we still, have, have, still, still feel some, a bit disconnected outside of our church family here at First Church. So over this series, I've, I've said some real, hopefully not offensive, hopefully not, brut- uh, hopefully not brutally honest things. And, and uh, I've said before, uh, those of you who are guests, I want to apologize just a bit because this is kind of like a family conversation we've been having here. I did it intentionally over the summer because typically our, our, our worship attendance is a little bit smaller during the, during the summertime and it's kind of going to be the core of the core that are, that are, in, that are in worship. 
And so I've said some real brutally honest things. And I hope I haven't offended you. But I'm telling you, if I have to step on toes, if I have to, if, if I have, to have my own toes stepped on so that the lost will be saved, so be it. I'm just going to simply leave you this, with this question. What are you willing to do? How far are you willing to go for the lost to be found? For me, that's the ultimate question. What are you willing to do? How far are you willing to go for the lost to be found? For those who have no relationship with Jesus Christ, to find a relationship with Jesus Christ. For those who have no hope, to begin to find hope in a relationship with God. How far are you willing to go? You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that Christ came from the world bringing and offering his life for us. And you know what our only one appropriate response is that we offer our lives back to him. Dear sisters and brothers, we must be willing to go all of the way for the gospel, for the lost. Those who are slipping into eternity moment by moment by moment without knowing the Lord as Savior. Dear friends, we must be willing to do everything so that the lost might be found. Would you bow your heads with me? So this morning I have, we've invited the, the very Spirit of God into this place. And we have asked the Lord to, to speak to us. And so for just, just a couple of minutes here, I, I know that we're just a couple of minutes late, but just for a couple of minutes here, I want us to pause and, and to hear from the Lord. So right now, I want you to think about those family members. Those family members who are lost. Maybe it's a spouse. Parents. Aunts, uncles, grandparents, cousins, in-laws, nieces and nephews. Just think, just take a moment now and think about those family members who were lost. I want you to be thinking about your neighbors, those neighbors on your block that we've been thinking about. Maybe it's the family that lives next door. You saw their car in the, or in the driveway when you left for church this morning. It'll be there when you come back. The neighbor that you see mowing their yard on Sunday mornings. 
you know for a fact they don't attend worship. That elderly person in the neighborhood, a, a new family that just moved in to that house that was for sale. Spend just a few moments thinking about them. Now think about those things, those those people at work, or those people where you used to work, supervisors. Maybe those you supervise, clerical staff. Maybe it's the students you teach, your clients, new staff members at your place of business. Colleagues you see in the hallway. Spend just a, mo a few moments thinking of those. Now spend just a moment thinking of those who are going through some, some times of some, some life stress. Think about that couple you know that's recently divorced. That couple with a brand new baby. Family who's experienced recent death. household where someone has lost their job the family that is experiencing addiction for many of us these are people who are invisible we like to be around people who have their act together we like to be around people who we attend worship with who have the same values that we do God, sometimes we have so secluded ourselves from the rest of the world, we have been so intent on not being of the world that, that we've even not been in the world. God, you've laid some people on our hearts this morning. We believe that you want us to share the good news with them. Indeed, our family members, our neighbors, those that live closest to us, our co-workers, those who are also going through struggles in their lives.
God, we want the lost to be found. Help us to simply tell them, come and see. Come and see what Jesus Christ has done in my life. Come and see the great works that that God is doing in my church. Because God, we, we want those with no hope to find hope. We want those who are lost and alone and full of despair to find your peace. We want sinners to be saved. And today we commit to doing everything, everything and anything we can to making sure that sinners hear the good news of Jesus Christ. pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.